Welcome to Hill Law Firm Cases, a podcast discussing real-world cases handled by Justin Hill and the Hill Law Firm. For confidentiality reasons, names and amounts of any settlements have been removed. However, the facts are real, and these are the cases we handle on a day-to-day basis. Okay, on today's episode of Hill Law Firm Cases, I've got a good friend of mine and, and previous co-counsel and classmate and friend and all of those wonderful things, Josh Fogelman, who's a really established and accomplished personal injury lawyer in Austin in the firm of Fogelman von Flattern, FVF Law, and he's sitting here with a really cute hat with like a, I don't know, a bird FVF on it. Josh and I had the uh, pleasure and benefit and honor of trying a case, I guess it would be right a little past a year ago now. That's right, last spring. In Williamson County, so Georgetown. That's right. Um, In our industry, there's always good places to file a lawsuit and try a lawsuit. And then historically there's bad places to file and, and try a lawsuit. And, and Georgetown's always kind of been considered maybe one of the worst places in the state of Texas because the, the, the understanding is juries don't think cases are, are, are worth much money is generally kind of the idea, right? Yeah. It's just a, a Williamson County North of Austin is a really conservative, uh, historically Republican County. And so you just, you got uh, at least the reputation of having very conservative jurors there. And, uh, you know, personal injury law, um, you know, conservative jurors tend to have a, a little bit of a more conservative uh, viewpoint of evaluation on personal injury cases. Yeah. And while it shouldn't be political, the sort of idea of tort reform and runaway juries is kind of permeated parties and the Republican Party has been sort of the the party carrying the mantle of we need to do stuff to rein in jury verdicts. So right or wrong, that sort of has permeated politics. It's kind of become part of the discussion and that's kind of bled over into some venues. But what we realized in Williamson County is maybe that isn't true or maybe the, the demographics are changing. We ended up with a kind of diverse jury in that case. Our four person was a a 19-year-old woman with a nose ring, if I recall. Yeah, it's actually what what was interesting uh, about our Williamson County jur- jury is it reminded me a lot of our Travis County juries. And I think that that's uh, a lot to do with the growth of Austin and a lot of sort of the Austin mentality being pushed outside of the city and county limits um, up into neighboring jurisdictions, neighboring counties like Williamson County. Right. What we didn't even see in the in jury selection is we didn't really see a whole lot of kind of far, um, you know, right or anti-lawyer, anti-tort thinking either. I mean, we, we had a pretty fair jury. And if I recall, in our panel, we had a lot, whole lot of people who had been kind of screwed over by insurance companies before. Yeah, that's true. And, and beyond that, we also had a really fair judge. Um, I was really impressed and surprised with uh, the judges leaning up there. So as far as a Republican judiciary is concerned, I thought that we got some some pretty pretty good and fair rulings from from Judge Lambeth up there in Williamson County. Yeah, she let us try our cases. I mean, you get judges sometimes that are very involved um, in the trial of the case in terms of they want to give their two cents or they want to kind of guide the way the trial is working. But she let us try our case. She let the defense do what they wanted for the most part within the rules, and she let us do what we wanted, and she let us have as much time as we needed, uh, which I was pretty surprised by. But from the jury standpoint, you do more work in Williamson County and Travis County than I do. Do you think there's a change in 
jurors due to the demographic change, or do you think more people are just coming to grips with insurance companies will do whatever they can to deny, delay, and defend claims? Yeah, I think there's a combination of both. Um, you know, I've, I've actually seen bad juries in Travis County. I've seen worse juries in Travis County than, than I've seen in Williamson County on some occasions. So, you know, there always is going to be some variation from jury to jury. Uh, but uh, definitely when we start asking the jury questions and talking to them about what their experience with insurance companies has been, that that is going to be a topic that's that's going to shape the way that the jury responds when you're asking them to allow money. And normally in a case, we're not allowed to talk to a jury about insurance, but when you're in a, the case like this, it was a uninsured, underinsured motorist claim. And we've talked about that on my podcast here before where people have paid their their premiums, they have taken out a policy to protect themselves. When they need that policy, they ask for it. And all too often, almost 100% of the time anymore, it seems like the UM UIM carrier says either, no, we're not giving it to you, or we're going to make you a very low ball offer. And in our case, we had both. We had a low ball offer that then became a no offer. Um, and we could get into the machinations of sort of the weird legal arguments there. But in our case, we were allowed to tell the jury, hey, this is Plaintiff X versus Allstate Insurance Company. And that prompted a whole lot of discussion from sort of our panel about people's experiences with insurance companies. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember vaguely uh, uh, some discussion uh, about people and their experiences. But I think that one of the advantages that we have in any of those cases where you are suing an insurance company like we did in, in the Burgess case is when you're in a venue uh, where people value the money that they're going to be asking a defendant to pay, it is a tremendous advantage to have the named defendant, the person who is going to be writing the check, be a named insurance company. And I think that was one of the things that also contributed to our success in that particular case is you didn't have your jury looking at their neighbor at the defense table or their neighbor up on the witness stand. It was an insurance company that each one uh, many of those jurors had had negative experiences sure. with. So, you know, they, they, a little bit of a different sense of fairness, um, even though jurors aren't supposed to take sympathy on the defendant, no matter who it is, they do. Right. Uh, and it's a lot easier to take less sympathy when it's an insurance company that's, that's, you know, drug you through the mud before. What a, uh, in that case, we got a really good verdict. Um, it was south of $400,000. Um, the judge, I think, told us it was the best verdict in 10 years in an injury case or something like that, if I, I recall correctly. What were some of the lessons you learned from that case? And in my perspective in that case, I, I found it real interesting the way the jury split up um, the award, uh, partly because our client had not had treatment in a while, so they didn't give her much in future. Um non-economics, but they gave her all of her future medical needs, which was sort of a strange kind of breakup in the, the jury charge. Well, what are some of the things that stood out to you in that case that you learned in that case and that sort of guide you in the future of, of working on UM cases? So if you remember, uh, Justin, you and I came up with a pretty good strategy early on that we were not going to ask for a lot of money in the way of intangible damages. So things like pain and physical impairment, uh, you know, anytime that we're dealing with an underinsured motorist coverage claim, we're sort of limited in what our best day in court could be because your best day in court, you're going to get an insurance policy. It's not an endless depth of pocket. Uh, so 
we came up with a strategy in that case. Uh, this particular client had a lot of future medical needs that were hard numbers that we decided uh, we had a really good chance at asking that particular jury to allow us because our, our client was genuine and she was uh, trustworthy and she was honest and she was legitimately hurt. And our strategy in that particular case was, you know, reading the jury and, and hearing what they had to say in in the Vore Dyer examination when we were talking to them at the beginning of the case, we, we decided that we were pretty confident with that particular defendant that they would be sympathetic to our client in what her hard actual future out-of-pocket costs would be. And those were enough to get us well beyond the insurance policy sure. that we needed. So I think looking at what you're actually trying to accomplish in the case and understanding the jury that you have and understanding the client will help you sort of narrow the focus on what you're going to ask for and identify what is your justification for asking the jury for what you're going to ask them. Right. And I thought that was a that was a really interesting perspective in that case because, you know, oftentimes we go in there and you have a lot of different opportunities to ask the jury to fill in the blank for all these different types of damages. And your your instinct, of course, as a, as a plaintiff's lawyer and someone who's representing someone is to get as many of those blanks filled with as much money as you can. But that's sometimes not really in your best interest or your client's best interest. Sure. And, and I learned that from that case. And I learned early in my career, you, ego can sink a trial as well. You start asking for more than you know, maybe you lose touch with your own case because you've lived it and breathed it for so many years and the defense lawyer's gotten under your skin and you think they've treated your client unfairly. And at some point you kind of lose touch. And that was really a good thing about me bringing you in on that case. You've brought me in, I've brought you in. You got a sort of fresh pair of eyes to look at the case and give me your honest opinion, which helps me take a step back and think, okay, I hadn't thought of that. This helps. Um, we had a great result in that case. Uh, you did a fantastic uh, closing uh, jury afterwards talked to us, and one of the things I remember them saying was how fantastically prepared we were. And I've learned that from day one in my career from my previous bosses about how much preparation matters, and especially in trial. A jury will pick up on who is prepared, and being prepared makes it look as though you're not making it up on the fly. If you're prepared, you've got a case, you've got a narrative that's honest, and that comes across. And you too often you get defense lawyers or other lawyers that are kind of p p putting it together as they go and too often than not, I think that appears as though they're making it up on the fly. Yeah, no, absolutely true. And a lot of these insurance companies, um, you know, that case was against Allstate. And a lot of these insurance companies uh, employ their counsel. This particular counsel wasn't an employee, but a lot of those insurance companies do, and Allstate does in a lot of their cases as well. And these, these defense lawyers are set for two, three, four trials sometimes yeah. on any given week, and they just don't have the time to prepare a defense the way that they should. And that's an advantage that we have right? Um, because, you know, we got one case going to trial that is going to eat up the month before that trial is going to be dedicated to getting ready for that trial. And, I mean, that a lot of that also, of course, has to do that with the fact that, in my opinion, it's harder to be a plaintiff's lawyer in a, in a lot of circumstances. It is. No, it just is. We have a burden to carry. That's right. Yeah. We, we got to put the evidence on and we got to, you know, get the jury to, to listen and understand and, and understand the why it is that we're yeah. there, you know, using their time. 
which we value as well. And yeah, the, uh, pre- preparation for sure made a difference in that case. Well, I'll end it on that the defense lawyer in that case somehow or another now fancies himself a personal injury plaintiff's lawyer in San Antonio and runs advertisements, which is just such opportunism in my mind. It kind of, you know, it, to me, it just cuts me the wrong way. Either you've got a passion for what we do or you don't. And if you have a passion for what we do, you can't be running your law firm on all state dollars is my two cents. We're going to end it on that. That's this episode. Thank you, Josh, for joining us. And we'll have Josh back on again.